0: I think about it almost in evolutionary time, in the sense of, can we be the group of humans that separates meat from animals and allows life to go forward without the use of animals to produce the core protein at the center of the plate? And from a kind of evolutionary perspective, you know, I think that would be an amazing leap forward for the human race.
1: The global food system is facing unparalleled challenges and changes. So how can we reset for a better more sustainable future. Introducing Control Alt Meat, the weekly podcast that explores the issues transforming the global food business. I'm your host, Katie Briefel. Come join me as I speak to the innovators and investors, policymakers and product developers, the scientists and the chefs who are all on the front line reshaping the future of our food. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Control Alt Meat. Today, I'm thrilled to say that we're joined by none other than Ethan Brown, the founder and CEO of Beyond Meat. In 2009, Ethan quit his job as a clean energy exec to launch his company, Beyond Meat, which is known for its plant-based burgers and other products like chicken strips and sausages that are juicy and taste like meat, but are made from plants. According to a University of Michigan study, the burgers also deliver environmental footprint benefits using 99% less water and generating 90% fewer greenhouse gas emissions than traditional beef. Beyond Meat has products available at approximately 119,000 retail and food service outlets globally, with partnership deals with the likes of McDonald's, KFC, Pizza Hut and PepsiCo, and backers like Bill Gates, Twitter founder Biz Stone and Leonardo DiCaprio. Ethan is also the recipient of the United Nations Highest Environmental Accolade, Champion of the Earth Award. In this episode, we talk about Ethan's inspiration behind founding Beyond Meat, why he's trying to reach flexitarian customers, why he sees intense competition as a good thing, and we learn about his future vision for Beyond. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, rate and review. Ethan, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's great to have you.
0: Oh, thank you for uh, inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here.
1: So you started Beyond all the way back in 2009 when the plant-based business was completely different to how it is now. I would love to hear about the beginnings of Beyond. What inspired you to start this business?
0: Oh, thank you. I think it's it's first important to recognize that a lot of people work, have worked on this for decades before I did. There were folks that were kind of pioneers of this space in creating early meat alternatives. And then even before them, the kind of Buddhist temples and and the monks that, that created what they would call mock meats. But what we tried to do, bring science technology to bear on what I thought was a really important global set of issues. So I think When I look back and say, what was really inspiring me to do this, I began to see the role that animal protein was playing in four things that I cared a lot about. And uh, the, the first being human health, where, you, know, you, you continue to see today even more and more information about the heart disease, diabetes, cancer, etc., and the high levels of animal protein consumption in those economies that experience that at the highest levels. Second was really around climate. I came out of school really devoted to trying to make a strong contribution to uh, climate change and, and, and its mitigation and worked for a long time in the alternative energy sector. I worked for a, a terrific company that, that was producing proton exchange membrane fuel cells. and really feel strongly about climate, but then when you look at natural resources and it's the use of it's the use of land, energy, and water, and then finally, really important subject for me was animal welfare. All of these things, I began to understand that by changing the protein at the center of the plate, simply switching it from an animal-based protein to a plant-based protein, you could contribute to all four of those major issues from human health to climate to natural resources to animal welfare and not by creating a meat substitute, but rather by trying to understand at a molecular level what meat is, and then go about rebuilding that directly from plants. And I think the one thing that we did differently that allowed us to have success was we approached this as a science and technology challenge versus a culinary challenge. So I'd come out of the energy sector where I worked for a company that had uh, over 2000 patents. Um, We had huge R&D budgets. Uh, we had some of the best and brightest engineers and scientists that you could get. So I took that model, that exact model that I saw in the energy sector and brought it to this problem. And so today we have over 200 scientists and engineers, really bright folks working up the street here at uh, the Manhattan Beach Project. We call it that because we wanted to evoke that sense of urgency of the Second World War and get the clear goal and then align the most talented people in the industry we could find. Uh, working every day to build a piece of meat perfectly from plants. It's been a journey, but it's been a rewarding one.
1: Absolutely. And it, the product speaks for itself. I've seen a lot of carnivores really been converted by sure, your products. You. So it's incredible. I'd love to know and for you to explain how the product is made.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, it's a really important thing to do. And we got to get better, I think, about explaining this in our marketing, because it's actually a, a, a process that people should feel really good about relative to its alternative, which is you know, uh, animal protein. So what we do is we begin with protein that's been taken from a plant, right? And so take any plant source, whether it's uh, mung bean, uh, fava bean, peas, etc. The fiber and, and protein are separated. We use the protein and let's say protein and I'll make a gesture with my hands, but I'll explain it looks like a kind of like a steeple of sorts. Uh, let's say it presents like this in plants. Our job is to break the bonds of that protein and reset them into the fibrous texture of muscle. Right, That's what gives the human experience of chewing on a piece of muscle. That's how the protein is arranged in a way that our sensory system is going to recognize it as meat. So we do that through applying heating, cooling and pressure. So you think about the protein that's been taken from the plant. We then run that through a system of heating, cooling and pressure. And heating, cooling and pressure are pretty elemental forces. Think about a diamond being formed, for example. So we're just using that system to instead of running all that plant material and water through an animal, we're using those three factors of heating, cooling and pressure to reset the protein that is set in plants into the form of muscle. So we're skipping the animal. We're creating the muscle directly from the plant material. That's how we make the product
1: a really great way of explaining it I think it's an interesting one because you presented the science here and it all makes sense. But we know that food is a very emotive decision. Like what was this how was it dealing with the skepticism at the beginning of creating this type of meat? Because I'm sure there was a sort of an emotional reaction to this at the
0: beginning. Yeah. Oh it's been remarkable like, to see culture shift in this direction. Yeah I can remember Talking to a neighbor of mine, who was very turny, and we're, I was trying to figure out how to refer to the product, you know. And we said, "Well, I'll think refer to this plant protein." He said, "That sounds like fish food." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> other people, you know, it wasn't just my phrase, but other people were, were thinking of that too. And you know, today though, it seems like some people have accepted that, and it's exciting. But I think the real issue is one that actually i often reference uh, your country and, and your city for a long time there's been a bias and you know this very well if you're working with jeremy but there's been a bias in favor of animal protein for things like vitality strength etc and so if you look back at the time of dickens there was a, among the elite there was a sort of theory that one of the reasons that the working class and and poor were poor was that they didn't have access to meat and so, therefore, it made, they were sort of lazy or, you know, uh, mentally deficient in some way. And so, that bias, though, that you need animal protein to be vital, strong, healthy, et cetera, uh, is one that we had to overcome. And the way that we did that was to go right to the playbook that's used actually in the animal protein space. And so, within a very short period after forming the company, I contacted a guy named Jeff Manning. And Jeff is really important because he was the original architect and sponsor of the Got Milk campaign here in the United States. Right. So if you think about that campaign where, where you could literally walk into a school system, walk into the cafeteria, and the milk industry was allowed to market, and they still are, directly to children with athletes, right? And so the message the child's getting as they go through the lunch line is, drink this, you'll look like this, right? Now, in our case, if you consume our products... Because of all the benefits they have in them, you are actually going to feel better, look better, et cetera, right? If you look at all the biomarkers and and how the body reacts under a plant-based diet and Beyond Meat Diet, you do see these improvements. And so I wanted to convey that message. I wanted to attack head-on the notion that you needed to consume animal protein to be, in particular, masculine. Right, And so I started signing up athletes, whether I think the first one we did was David Wright, uh, the Mets, then J.J. Reddick, actually just retired, uh, and then a whole slew of others, Chris Paul and, and many, many others. And it was a, a woman that I began working with uh, over a decade ago now, uh, Beth Moskowitz. So we have just a huge group of investors and celebrities that have gotten behind our efforts to use food to make a positive impact. And that's how we've attacked that bias.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's had such a difference on the take-up, I think, with those kind of products. And out of interest, why did you want to create something as similar to meat as possible? You could have just created something kind of different,
0: right? My mother asked me that question a lot. She's <laughs> like, why are you so obsessed with, you know, making it just like meat? Just make a great protein for the center of the plate. There's a lot of reasons. The, the, the most basic answer is simplicity. Like, I know that humans love to eat meat. Like, I loved to eat meat when I was growing up. Taste tastes yeah. great, you know, and so I didn't want to guess at the target. I just wanted to prove that it can be done. And we're still in the process of proving that. We're still making the products better. We've got to keep getting better. But the other piece is, you know, I really think about this in and this is hard when you're running a company that's judged every quarter. I think about it almost in evolutionary time in the sense of can we be the group of humans that separates meat from animals and allows life to go forward without the use of animals to produce the core protein at the center of the plate. And from a kind of evolutionary perspective, you know, I think that would be an amazing leap forward for the human race, right? And so I didn't want to just provide something that, you know, is just one other option.
1: I love that ambition. And, you know, you're, you beyond was obviously like a pioneer in this sector, but the market is growing fast and it's grown over 400% over the past years, just in Europe. So if this growth continues, this will obviously be positive for beyond meat too. To what extent is the total growth of the market and the increased competition that that inevitably brings beneficial for beyond?
0: It's entirely beneficial. And I think it's a hard concept for a lot of people to get, but the competitive environment just makes us better, you know, so there's tangible things you can see in the market so for example if if there's a competitor out there that's spending a ton of money they're bringing new people into the category right and so that those people don't just go right to the competitor they'll they'll try a different product one day etc so it just increases the size of the prize um but the more important in my view is that this is a special opportunity. It's a special opportunity to work here. It's a special opportunity to try to deliver this thing. And the people that have invested so much time and energy just want to be the ones that deliver the very best product. And there's like, you get to tap into that competitive nature that we have as humans. And so the competition is good, as long as we're winning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And sort of linked to that, um, trying to be competitive, making the best product possible. In the past, you've said you're committed to using simple plant-based ingredients without GMOs with Beyond. Why have you taken
0: this stance? You know, I think a lot about unintended consequences and the, you know, I think human nature generally is genuinely good and, you know, people want to do the right thing. But often when we get involved in, in manipulating nature, the downstream consequences are tough uh, and they often hurt those that are the most vulnerable. And so, you know, people say, well, there's nothing wrong with genetically modified soy as an example. We should ask the farmers that don't have to douse themselves and round up because it's not necessarily the GMO crop. It's the fact that you can now use more pesticides on them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about how you market alt meat in your product, for example. So who would you say is your target consumer? And what would you say Beyond Meat needs to do to sort of unlock the mainstream marketplace?
0: Yeah, I think it's three things. So the target consumer really is a flexitarian. You know, it's the, the, the folks that are, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of as a for our company is that 93% of the people that are putting the Beyond Burger in their cart at a grocery are also uh, putting in animal protein. So we're not selling into a smaller subset of the market. We're selling across uh, families and different you know, ways of feeding your family. So the three things we have to do to really make sure that we can break through to the mainstream. One is continue to improve the taste. And we focus on taste and sensory in sort of four ways. One is the flavor. the aroma, Aroma, appearance, and the texture. So we call that fat. Second is to continue to drive home the health message, and so this is why the work we're doing with Stanford University is so important. You know, I wanted to move away from kind of the hand waving that was going on about plant protein is or, or plant based eating is healthier for you, but there wasn't data around plant based meat, and so I wanted to create some data around plant based meat. So we started working with Stanford. They did a clinical trial where they served three servings of animal protein a day to a statistically significant population. And then they switched that after eight weeks to serving beyond three times a day, and they measured key biomarkers. And the, the thing that I found so gratifying really was that LDL cholesterol dropped both at a statistical and clinically significant level. And then second, TMAO, which is a compound that that occurs in the gut uh, that is closely associated with heart disease, also dropped both at a statistical and clinically significant level. So really exciting outcomes. And we have a five-year program with them where they're going to do more and more analysis and studies. And it may come back someday that the results aren't what we wanted, but we have to live with those. And why we're doing that is that I want to create a true data set that people can go to and understand the real benefits they're getting when they have plant-based So
1: you've been been moving into the quick-serve restaurant space for ventures like McDonald's in the UK that's just got some amazing press, um, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC. Why is this uh, quick serve uh, restaurant so important?
0: Oh, that's a great question. So it has to do with a desire to be ubiquitous and to be available to the mainstream consumer. I mean, that's like really important to us. And so we think that's where impact is made and that's where change is made. It's also, these are places that I grew up eating and I love them. You know, I really I had have Friday nights pizza uh, with my dad Pizza Hut and, you know, KFC, I have a bucket of chicken on the, on the Chesapeake Bay you know these are iconic parts of our culture and again it gets back to this notion of let's not have people feel uncomfortable with their current choices let's give them an opportunity to make what we think is a better choice Right. And uh, and so I want to be true to this statement, eat what you love will enable you to do it in a way that's healthier for you, better for the planet.
1: Yeah, it takes it away from being preachy or inaccessible. um, And it's, I guess, democratizing that kind of lifestyle, which I think is really important.
0: We we, we talk about that a lot here. We're just talking about this morning that you really have to pitch a big tent. You know, everyone's on their own journey. They're at different points in their journey. And the best way to be helpful to them is to give them an option versus a lecture.
1: Yeah. Somehow I don't think lectures really work on people, do they? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. So I'd love to talk about your plans for the future and looking ahead. How are you scaling beyond around the world?
0: So it's a lot of fun. I mean, we have now two facilities over in the EU. We've got in the Netherlands and then we've also, I think, as folks know, we've we've opened up our production facility in Yajing in China. And so, you know, my ambition is to have the company be a major global protein company. And so we're acting with some urgency around that in terms of the investment we're making globally. And you know, here in the US, we continue to expand uh, production, but these partnerships we have are really important in the, in, in the global context. So to be able to roll out, we now uh, rolled out in, with McDonald's in you know, Norway, the Netherlands, Austria, and UK, we hope to see a lot more of that over the next year same with some of our other partners that we've been in the news with, whether it's KFC or others. And so being of service to those very large global QSRs is really a big part of our strategy.
1: Yeah. And I'd love to talk about your launch in China um, with one of the largest meat markets in terms of consumption. How important was that launch for Beyond Meat and sort of what was your strategy there?
0: It's really important. I mean, and it's different in, in kind, right? So in the EU, the consumer I think is, is much more Attuned to these types of products and these issues and and has a real appetite that's a more mature market. In China, there's more of an education process involved. But the population is so large and the need is so significant that it's worth the investment. The other issue is, can you help economies like China? avoid the level of investment that we've made in animal protein and instead go to a system that that we think is better on a number of fronts. And so getting in there as early as we can and investing as much as we can early to create products that are tailored to the Chinese palate, that are produced in China, led by folks that are from China, can we create beyond China in a way that, that really serves that economy and that culture? And that's what we're after.
1: Yeah. Cause you partnered with KFC China, I believe to launch a plant based version of yeah. their sort of famous beef wrap, I guess. Is that sort yeah, of what you're yeah. saying? You're trying to embed yourself in the, in that sort of like cultural preference. Exactly. What are the biggest challenges and obstacles do you think in the yeah. next five years,
0: you know, I think right now it's about continuing to deliver on the promise, you know, continuing to improve the product, uh, both from, uh, from all the things we just talked about, the flavor, the aroma, the appearance, the texture, it's about continue to educate the consumer about the health benefits of it. and the key thing for us is this cost issue is driving the cost structure of our production process to the point where it can underprice animal protein. there's that inherent efficiency of removing the animal from the production process. yeah but how do we make sure that we deliver on that promise of underpricing the animal protein? And so I made a commitment about two and a half years ago to be able to do that within five years. and so we're working very hard in that regard and it'll be in one particular protein, most likely beef, but we're making progress.
1: And it may be the same thing, but what are you most excited about in the next few years? Mm,
0: These partnerships, I think, the global partnerships, I mean, just rolling out, uh, it was wonderful to be able to to go to KFC. You know, these partnerships are important uh, and and allowing consumers to access uh, within their communities where they're already eating our products is really exciting to me.
1: Amazing. I mean, it's been such a pleasure hearing about the ambition behind Beyond Meat. If you could have one or two takeaways that you'd like someone listening to this to take away from this um, interview, what would it be?
0: You know, I think it's how fundamentally possible this is and how much it makes sense in the sense that, again, gets back to sort of evolutionary time. Like if you take the entire span of the Earth, so 4.5 billion years, and you collapse that into a single calendar, humans don't show up until December 31st, right? We've done a lot of things and made a lot of changes to the Earth in a very short amount of time. And so technology can be used for both good and bad. This is an opportunity to apply technology to maybe undo some of the damage we've done and to put ourselves on a better course in terms of how we treat our bodies, how we treat the earth, how we treat animals, the rest of animals on earth. So for me, it's helping people understand that this is part of a journey that we can take to create a sustainable food system that's not only good for us, but good for the rest of the planet.
1: Incredible. Thank you so much, Ethan. Pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Control-Alt-Meet. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on social media to help us reach more listeners like you. You can also visit controlaltmeat.com
0: to learn more.